Hi, Samad. I'm so glad to have you on today. Um, so we're doing a Rev podcast episode that's a little bit different because Samad and I are going to be having a little bit more of a conversation than normal. Um, I'm definitely going to be interviewing her, but probably injecting a little bit more of of my my thoughts and um, answering some questions as well. So very exciting. And and for people who don't know me on your side. My name's Cora. I am the co-founder and CEO of Revenver, which is a platform for sustainable living, um, sustainable fashion, clean beauty, etc, etc. And Samata, um, I would love if you would introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about who you are and what you do. Yes, well, thank you for having me, Cora. I'm a huge lover of your platform so um, I think it's a great place to look for sustainable fashion and lifestyle and also learn a bit about this industry that we work in and, and love so much. So my name's Samata and I'm the CEO of Red Carpet Green Dress. We're a women-led organisation so we're really kind of passionate and focused on bringing dialogue but also action to the fashion industry on the topic of sustainability. We started with Susie Amos Cameron who is our founder and like people might probably know her more um, at the beginning as the wife of James Cameron who was um, going to the Oscars for Avatar, big movie, and they wanted to use that platform for just a conversation about something dare I say, a little bit more meaningful than just what are you wearing? They wanted it to go beyond that and talk about fashion and the environment and sustainability. So that's how we began. And fast forward, I've been working with the organization for around eight years now, and it's just a trip. It's really exciting. It's brand collaborations, it's educational platforms. We have our kind of flagship Oscars project, which lots of people know us for, but we do so much stuff behind the scenes, which I'm looking forward to talking to you about today. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Amazing. So I'd love to kind of wind back really to those to those eight years ago and how, how you got drawn to this. You know, we were kind of chatting before that sustainability wasn't always something that was so at the forefront of your life or maybe your career. So, so how did you, how did you get drawn into this? Yeah, that's such a good question. And drawn in is the perfect, the perfect way to put it. Like I was innocently walking by, you know, I was, because that's basically what happened. I had worked in fashion before. I, you know, I didn't study fashion, so it wasn't an option. I'm from Cambridge. I've got kind of two Ghanaian parents and anyone who um, maybe potentially has the same background as me knows that you really have a few subjects you can choose for university and fashion design is not one of them. So they were like economics, finance or law. And I was just basically, you know, I didn't get to study fashion. It wasn't a thing that I was, you know, herded towards. But I studied economics, finance and management, but I went to London to do it. So that was kind of my, aha, I'm kind of getting one up on you guys. I went to London and just immersed myself in the fashion scene there. So while I was studying at uni, um, you know, I was going to classes, but I was also like after uni and at the weekends, I was volunteering at fashion boutiques. I love fashion so much. I think it's just such a great way to communicate like our identity, who we are. I just, it means a lot to me. So when I finished uni, I had this kind of bravado and this, I felt quite empowered to, you know, work in marketing roles and PR roles. And then I started my own label. And that was, that was really, really tough. You know, um, that was really, really tough. I'm sure that there are designers that might listen to this, but it's extremely challenging. It's not just the creative side, it's the business side. And I wouldn't be lying core if I said, you know, I really ran myself down. I'm sure you can relate to just yeah. exhausting yourself. <laughs> yeah, yes, I can totally relate. <laughs> you, know, you pour a lot into this and it can be really, really hard if you're not fueling up again. So um, long story short, did the label, um, burnt out and decided I'm going to put this down um, and just take a moment from it. And then a year later, I went on to Vogue and I literally saw a contest line. Can you design a dress for the red carpet with a sustainable twist? And it turns out I had missed designing for a bit, you know, even though I'd burnt out and I was kind of not sure what I wanted to do, I did miss it. So I entered the contest and didn't expect anything. And that was red carpet, green dress. And Susie Amos Cameron called me and that was my beginning of the journey into sustainability. I love how you said drawn in, by the way. Because <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of people, you know, I think maybe less so now because I think sustainability is so much more evolved and part of the conversation. But eight years ago, it really was incidental. Like how I got into it was I was actually studying um, 
I was studying environmental politics and sustainable development and I was getting my master's degree and I wanted to go into renewable energy, which is something I still find very fascinating. Um, but my professor just happened to mention at the time that behind sort of the energy sector fashion was one of the most polluting industries on earth. And for someone who, I mean, like my undergrad had been environmental policy, um, my master's degree was environmental policy, and I had never considered fashion as something that was anything except creative and beautiful and sort of aspirational. And to think that behind the scenes of this facade was something so not in just environmentally damaging but when you looked at the humanitarian impacts of of everything it was really shocking and so the idea for curating a platform where you know style wouldn't be sacrificed for ethics but it would make sustainable shopping very easy for people so they didn't have to go out of their way to buy yeah. sustainably yeah. It, it just it, like i was drawn to it you know literally because of that that one professor in that one class on that day where i probably happened to be feeling a little bit feisty or something you know it was almost like that I love that though, because it is those kind of like, I really believe in paying it, like, I love that how life can just ping you off in a new direction. And and that's why I always kind of feel like every interaction, you know, sometimes people feel like, oh, there's like a wasted experience. I wish I hadn't spent that long doing that. I wish I hadn't spent that time doing that. And I just feel like, no, this is all kind of relevant. Like it all plays a role in like where we end up later and how we find ourselves and our passion or whatever. Like with um with the degree, it's like, I didn't want to be seeing that degree, Cora. I was just, you know, I was looking out the window, like, what does this, have to do with the price of fish I'm going to be a designer I want to be in fashion but you know fast forward with the work I'm doing with red carpet green dress it's also relevant like making a business case for sustainability which is such an important thing right now you know in terms of being able to explain to industry why it's important to invest in sustainable solutions is a big thing so all of those kind of skills that I was quite you know resentful of sitting in and, and not wanting to be present in that room became really important so I love what you said it's like life can really ping you off in these different directions and sustainable fashion for me it was like that missing element I love fashion I'd go to fashion weeks I've covered fashion for the Guardian for Huffington Post like I, I really enjoy it and I love writing about it and I used to love making it but I think there was always something missing that was kind of um, I would call it a level of depth that was connecting me to what was around me. And I think that's what sustainability is to me. You're looking at what you're using from like Earth's natural resources, how you're impacting not just the environment, but people. And so it just becomes this more meaningful thing. Um, and that's why I just love it so much. It's, it's kind of, it definitely filled a void, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like for me personally, it, it's also been really great coming into fashion a little bit more objectively. Like, I actually think, you know, I like coming in for better or for worse, I was totally, you know, I was not a fashionista. I didn't understand the industry. I, you know, people would be naming major players. I'd be like, who is that? You know, <laughs> literally, you know, I like, I didn't, if you'd asked me who the editor in chief of Vogue was, I wouldn't have known, which is like crazy. But I think also that objectivity and also what I didn't realize was going to be so important. I think anybody listening to this, you know, we talk about Rev, Rev all the time, like education and particularly female education. It is so important and women really need to embrace different skill sets and we can't all be a fashion stylist. We can't all be a fashion designer, but there are places for people that have like, you know, sustainability backgrounds, finance backgrounds, you know, all of this adds up. And, and I think that fashion should never be you know, exclusive of anyone who's got, you know, a brain and, and serious passion. Like that's what's going to solve all of this for us. Absolutely. What you said is just, I really feel that because um, there's a, one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's by Penny Martin, um, gentlewoman. And she says, you know, um, the thing for me about fashion is that everyone thinks we're a bunch of idiots, but some of the most intelligent people I've ever met work within the fashion industry. And I really love that because like any industry, like it's nuanced. There are so many different roles. I, to me, like the creative designers are just like absolutely insanely you know, brilliant minds, you know, some of the work that when we collaborated with like Louis Vuitton, just that mind to create that design is just 
going to always inspire me, but we have alchemists, we have scientists, we've got people who are analyzing the psychology of fashion. We have material innovation. We have all of these really fascinating areas within the fashion industry. And like you said, like there's so much more, there are so many more spaces we can occupy that challenge different parts of our brains. And, and also ultimately fashion's still a business, right? You know, it's still a business worth tens of millions you know i can't remember the exact estimate of the value of fashion i'm sure it'll come back to me later but it's it's a high it's a high value industry which employs people around the globe you know it has it has a lot to offer um so i i completely agree with you on that and i also think it's interesting how you i know that you and susie speak a lot when i'm like have been reading about you or your post or whatever the fact that it, it is a female run sort of female-led yes. initiative and I think yes. what's really interesting is when we talk about the value and the insane economic turnover of the fashion mm -hmm. industry whilst many of the people down the chain are women mm -hmm. still at the top it's mostly men oh, so yeah. you know that to me is a huge we have some serious catching up to do as women as well because you know one thing that I think has been highlighted so much in the past eight years for me of working in sustainability is and, and I know for young designers, this is a struggle. I know for consumers, this is a struggle, but like it, it comes down to money, economic position, so much of this. And, you know, I really feel it's important that we start getting more women in economic places of power. And it's interesting, like, you know, Yes, I remember doing, there was a module in my degree that was all about microfinancing and <laughs> loaning to, and I'm like a big fan of microfinancing, <laughs> but loaning to developing countries and helping them to develop in a sustainable way. And it was like nine times out of 10, if you give a woman money, she will spread it around. She will make sure her children go to school. She will give it to her neighbors. She will invest it smartly in the right crops. She will educate herself nine times of ten out of ten if you give it to a man he'll spend it on himself right. and normally like lose most of the money but somehow like he's still okay you know but like yeah. nobody in the village has has come out any better for it and it's, I think that's just you know that's that's applicable on a much bigger scale as well oh absolutely like you touched on so many things that speak to me like when you spoke about kind of women in positions of you know of steering and shaping brands and shaping departments you know as when i became ceo for red carpet green dress it was kind of this progression of having been with the company for seven or eight years i started as a director global campaign director you know worked up etc cetera, etc cetera. but the fact is that i was fortunate enough to work with an organization that rewards you know work and, and rewards the growth and rewards results as well and it's just so frustrating to me that for so many women within this fashion industry that's not the case I think you know I was reading around this a, a while ago but even when you do have um, I think it said that you know when you look at the fortune 500 companies just four percent of women hold CEO positions in fortune 500 companies but when you look at that number within the like the retail industry it drops to 1.7 which is just minuscule and it's such a shame because like you said women occupy such a huge percentage of the fashion industry and they are just not getting those positions and sometimes when they are given those positions it's really a figurehead it's not necessarily um they're not given the appropriate amount of power to accompany that it's you know so there's a lot of frustration around that and i was part of another conversation the other week around women who are freelancing and also just when you talked about kind of how sometimes men and women discuss these things differently, like studies have shown that men are, I think, um, likely to mention money a lot more than women do. So when they're negotiating rates, they're very comfortable with like throwing the word money out there, you know, and they're more comfortable. They'll ask for two times on average two, I think it is two times more for the same work than a woman would. So, you know, it's about us having these opportunities, but I think it's also about us valuing ourselves more and having the balls to kind of be like, this is what I, this is what I want. This is what I deserve to be paid. Um, and I know that that's difficult because our positions and opportunities feel fewer, yeah. um, but it's a necessary part so that when we get in the room, we're paid what we deserve, you know, um, and we don't feel like we've been underpaid or undervalued. Um, so yeah, I, I, definitely understand you on those ones no, I mean, it is tough but I feel like you know something that I'm actually I it would be a misstatement to say I'm inspired by American politics at the moment um mm -hmm. a gross misstatement but what I am very 
thankful for is the diversity of people that are now coming to the ballots and mm -hmm. coming on to ballots, you know, like the success of women like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And, you know, we've got Joe Biden saying he's absolutely going to pick a woman to be his VP. And, you know, I think actually it's so funny because it, all of these things are so interconnected. And as we see more women rise to places of power, my hope is that it will inspire younger generations to realize that, you know, you really can do something as a woman. You can really make an impact. You can really raise to, to huge heights. Um, so I'm hopeful in that sense, I would say. Definitely. I feel the same as you. I, I feel um, like it's such an incredibly, we're living in such an incredibly powerful time. Like some of the advocates I'm following on Instagram, I'm, you know, I wake up and it's like, they're just speaking complete fire into me. It's yeah. just, you know, and these are women, you know, and I'm just like, I'm just in awe of them. So, you know, that whole idea of role models, it's like, if I was growing up in, in, in this time right now, I would be obviously very, I'd be slightly terrified and I'd, I'd have a lot of anxiety, but I would also just be proud because we've, we, we're around some really phenomenal characters and they're so young and they just, they've got their head screwed on, you know? I mean, for anybody watching, you, have you watched Knock Down the House yet on Netflix? No, I haven't watch it tonight honestly it's about the four women in the wake of donald trump that got inspired to run for different parts of congress and it's okay. like they're four very different stories um it's so incredible and it it is really interesting also for any americans watching who are getting ready to vote I just had to go through such a rigmarole to vote in the primaries. I mean, like I'm trying to do my absentee ballot. It wasn't working. Yeah. It wasn't like lock on my PDF. It was very, it was a very bizarre experience. I've got to say, but like, I, <laughs> I made it my mission. I was like, I will scan this to you. I will mail it to you, like whatever it takes. So like anybody listening, like, yes, it's going to be a difficult election year, but like, please, please, please just persevere and get your vote out there. You know, it's like, Absolutely, because, and particularly because of, you know, what we're interested in specifically when you're talking about sustainability and, you know, we need this legislation. We need a government that understands that climate change is real, you know, that biodiversity loss, that the World Economic Forum Davos in, in at the World Economic Forum in Davos 2020, they listed all of their top five global risks to global economies are all environmental. You know, and it's like number three is biodiversity loss, like climate change is in there. Like this is where businesses come together and they're saying, look, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And I think it's a shame, but I always feel like it will only take us being in a complete crisis for real change to happen. And why does it have to be that way? You know, why do we have to? You know what I mean? Like, why do we have to have a, a global pandemic for people to realize that the NHS are our heroes? You know, why do we have to have... Um, why do we have to have these disasters? Like why we, we've got like, I think they've said we've literally got, um, we've killed off or we've, we've eliminated 80% of our wetlands. You know, there's species dying off at this incredible rate. Why do we have to wait for, I don't know, like the elephant to go to extinct, become extinct to realize that this is a challenge. And I think when you link that back to fashion, because that's the big thing, right? Connecting the dots between, environmental impact, social justice and fashion, I think there's probably a lot of work to be done to c explain these dots a bit more so it becomes a more tangible risk to people because I still think it's going over a lot of people's heads. They aren't connecting the dots between, well, when I say that, maybe not in our industry, but I think mainstream consumers, maybe they aren't connecting the dots between deforestation and viscose and their clothing, yeah. you know? Or, yeah. you know, they're not connecting those dots between pesticides, lots of bees and um, lots of insects, cotton, you know, water, our t-shirt, you know, that's not happening. So it's, it's kind of, I think those dots are not being connected, which I mean, I think like, you know, it's so funny. One of the things that I literally know every time I'm going to get the shock factor is when I tell people that, you know, anything made from, you know, a polyester, a nylon around, I'm like, that is, that is petroleum. Yeah. You are actually buying like oil yeah. and putting yeah. it on your skin yeah. and supporting the oil industry, which I yes. mean, has so much to answer for that I, you yeah. know, that's a whole other conversation, but you know, yeah. people don't like, I'm like, you know, all those, like, I'm not going to name names, but all those expensive <laughs> workout clothes that you're like, you know, dropping hundreds of pounds on yeah. or not hundreds of pounds on, um, it's all made for, you're literally dousing yourself in petroleum. Like that is what you're wearing. 
It's um, a weird association to make, isn't it, though? Like, it, it, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And I, maybe that's something to do with, um, you know, part of me feels like, well, why should only fashion design colleges explain materials? Like, I almost feel that maybe if I was at a uh, secondary or something, maybe learning a bit more, not because we learned about kind of food, we learned about kind of um, farming, we learned about agriculture in that regard. Like, we did cover a little bit of that. And I wonder if part of this is around educating people about like raw materials, raw material processing, so that they have the knowledge early to understand that, you know, most of our clothing, if it's natural fibers, comes from farms and fields, you know, um, and if it's synthetic, like you just said you know you're looking at petroleum you're looking at um creating a synthetic item and when you wash that there are microplastics and they can go into the ocean and that's how that connects and i think people are, are super that they're intelligent enough to be able to understand that picture when it's explained to them but maybe that education is happening a bit too late um and it's it's coming kind of happening in fashion colleges whereas i wouldn't be adverse to that being something that's put on you know school curriculums in terms of just understanding the impact yeah. Um, because we all wear clothes every single day. So it is relevant, you know. And that comes back to, I would, I would, you know, venture to say, again, mm. politics, legislation, the people that we've got, yes. you know, who are putting together these curricula, you know what I mean? So it all trickles down. I agree completely, you know, because by the time somebody goes to, to college, you know, they're 18 years old and, and they, yeah. you know, they've already become Primark customers or top, you know what I mean? And, and it's, um, and it's hard to break, it's much harder to break a habit yeah. than just have like kind of been doing it the whole time. It's like, it's very difficult to give up meat. Yes. You've been a vegetarian for years. It's like, it's just, you wouldn't ever think to buy a piece of meat. You know what I mean? Versus yeah. giving it up. Um, yeah. And like you said, the minds have been won over a bit earlier, you know? So like, it's, it's more, and I think this speaks a lot to the psychology of fashion and, um, and, and, the, and how young we're marketing fashion to people. I remember when I was growing up in Cambridge, like going to Topshop was just like, it was the place to be and it was kind of like you'd go there and um, after you'd walk there after school or whatever and get your outfits for the weekend and you know it was this relationship that formed quite early so I think like you said it's it's about forming relationships with um, values um, soon so maybe it's not about forming relationships with brands but it's about forming relationships with values and then you use those values to filter the brands that fit your values you know versus I'm a brand advocate for these people without really having an understanding of how they operate um Great. so yeah i think it's it's a switch in mindset but also policy i i completely agree with you so i feel like we could talk all day about yes. all of these like extremely large questions and never even talk about what what we came here specifically yes. To about, yes. which is red carpet green dress and i'm i'm such a huge fan of this but i think it really is interesting you know when we kind of put the question out to our audience ahead of time about things that people wanted to hear about from our conversation samata it was a lot of people sort of you know celebrity culture is problematic in a big sense i mean it means you are flying all over the world for filming it means you're flying all over the world for premieres premieres don't happen just in one city they happen in you know cities all over the world um you know, I'm sure behind, I've never been to like a red carpet or a premiere or anything like that, but I, I'm sure there are plastic water bottles everywhere. I'm sure that people have flown in various outfits. Um, yeah. So in terms, I think a lot of people were sort of like, so what's the point of just, you know, one dress if the whole issue is so big? Like how yeah. does one dress make a difference? And I am very much of the mindset that nothing is too small to make a difference and yeah. nothing nothing should be sort of bludgeoned into yeah. not mattering um yeah. because maybe the bigger problem is so huge but how would you kind of respond to that just given the fact that it was a concern of so many people's yeah i think i think first of all i have so many opinions on this question <laughs> Ooh, okay, so first of all, <laughs> I um, love it. that's what we're here for. Okay, so first of all, when we're talking about, um, okay, so with red carpet, I don't know which question to answer because I feel like there's so many in there. So I'll just talk kind of freely how I see this whole um, conversation. Um, 
when we started red carpet green dress in 2009 there were literally no sustainable dresses on that red carpet like it wasn't even a big talking point when it comes to what are you wearing let's have a conversation about fashion and i think when you're looking at platforms i think it's important to understand the role that certain elements of work have some work is really about awareness building and it's about making spaces in rooms so that there can be more conversations about these topics and also more action about these topics if people aren't made aware on a global mainstream scale about the impact of fashion and if we don't take opportunities to grab people's attention and say oh did you know that this is a whole other part of what are you wearing then we're missing an opportunity to educate a global audience so when you look at the red carpet green dress for example the, um, and the Oscars the, the viewership figures for the Oscars are in their millions and it's a globally watched event it isn't just broadcast to a certain part of the world you have people watching it in Ghana you have people watching it in China, all over the world, who are kind of tuned into this carpet. And a lot of the reason for that initial red carpet attention is, what are these people wearing? It is a drawing point to start a conversation. And the whole reason Susie started it is because she wanted to make that question more meaningful. I think when you think about um, red carpets, when you think about film premieres, when you feel, think about fashion weeks, you could make the same arguments that, well, look at the environmental impact that a fashion week has people flying all over the world they're coming into a new place can't they just remotely view these collections look at the impact of that event to just talk about these brands and these collections but for me i personally feel like instead of kind of attacking the idea of just one dress or just a platform to show fashion and it could be done more sustainably we should be talking about how we green and, and make the events more sustainable so that we're actually looking at it holistically because i think and the other thing i feel quite strongly about is i think there's something quite kind of snide about it and i i have to be honest here because every industry has um, some sort of um, accolade giving moment, right? So if you're in the beauty industry, it could be the, there are the beauty awards. If you're in um, the literary industry, there are, there are particular awards that an author might be really proud to receive. And, you know, you've got the national television awards. And I think what we're doing is we're kind of saying, well, this platform kind of really, sh you know, sustainability shouldn't really be on this platform because it's not sustainable, but there will always be red carpet events. Well, there will always be spaces where people are rewarded for their work. Ultimately, the Oscars is about celebrating talent. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's about celebrating, you know, this actor's performance in this movie, this movie director's work, you know. Um, I remember when I was there last time and I met Spike Lee, I was completely losing it. I was like, this man's a legend to me. Like, this is Spike Lee, do the right thing. You know, he's a heavyweight hitter and he was on this red carpet, but it really brought home to me that, and it's not just about the Oscars because people might feel that the Oscars is X, Y, Z or it's whatever. But to me, these are spaces that celebrate work and they create billions that they create jobs for people. You have stylists, you've got the tech engineers. Like, so when people kind of make that comment, I feel that there's an element of, there's a slightly, there's a, an element that frustrates me with what I feel can be quite a snide perspective about it. You know, it's just this red carpet, it's just this one dress. Well, for that person that's being nominated for that work, it's actually a really special moment. So that's one thing. And so that then brings me to um, the environmental impact of these um, moments. And yes, you're completely right. There's an element of we're flying a dress around the world that's been made in one part of the world to be worn on a red carpet, etc. But I think that that's when you're looking at sustainability from just one metric, which is maybe the carbon impact. But if you're looking at sustainability from the metrics of um, you're looking at measuring communication, you're looking at measuring dialogue with a global audience when you're looking at measuring the impact that the designs we have on the industry. So when we did a natural dye dress with Naomi Harris, not just the company that we worked with to do the natural dye, but other natural dye houses that we had worked with in the past reported a surge in their business because people didn't even know that these companies existed to do this and that this was something that could be done um, in a more sustainable way. The same thing when we worked with, um, well, I am with the um, our, pet, our pet suit, which is the recycled plastic suit. On one hand, yes, it's one suit, but the, the trickle down and the impact of that for some of the companies that we've worked with who produce 
um, RPEP from recycled waste was huge. We had companies emailing us and saying, we've had so many people reaching out to us about this solution. Thank you for putting a spotlight on it. The same with GOTS. So there's the direct measurables of a carbon footprint of a single piece. But I think we're ignoring the impact that this particular moment has on related industries, related sustainable fashion movements and all of that stuff. So that's a, a kind of a big thing for me that I, I feel frustrated about. And the other thing, and please jump in if you know if you want to, to ask me any more questions about it, but the other thing for me is also around the whole vintage rewearing side of things. Well, why can't they just why can't everyone just rewear something? Okay, so if you believe that, then I think what lots of people fail to grasp is a vintage fashion is actually not something that can suit every single body type. So when I had a conversation, it was really interesting. I was speaking to someone, um, one of our stylists about vintage, um, because obviously it needs to be at least 15 to 20 years old. You know, there's a particular criteria for it. And she was saying, well, look, we have a couple of clients that love vintage, but we don't find stuff for these women's figures. We don't find stuff for, um, I don't really like the term plus size because it really frustrates me, but I don't know a better phrase. Yeah. But she was like, forget about it. Like, we're just not finding red carpet pieces that will suit this, these particular clients of ours. So vintage doesn't actually speak to everyone and it doesn't cater to everybody. It doesn't cater to everybody's style. It doesn't cater to every um, body shape. Though I think it's a really important part of sustainable fashion. Um, I think ultimately, if we keep focusing on re-wearing what was old, while new stuff's being made that isn't being made sustainably, we are going to be in a real mess. Yeah. And that's why making making and looking at how we make more sustainably as, is as important to me yeah. as looking at what was made in the past and reusing that. Yeah. Um, please like jump in because I feel like I've just spoken, but I no, have no, so no. many feelings on this subject because it's just, it's like someone saying, well, what's the use of having one person of color in that room? Like, no, like we have to open the doors in these spaces. We need to be present in these spaces. We need to make what started as a small thing become the norm. And it will only become the norm if we're there. You know, we can't, we can't project an eco message onto the red carpet. You know, we have to be present in these spaces so people can be, anim they can, we can animate our message. Yeah. You know, so people can connect the dots visually and say, well, that was beautiful. This is how it's sustainable. Yeah. Um, so yes, a carbon footprint, but to me, the work that it does to move um, this conversation forward is so much bigger than that. Yeah, and oh my God, now I have like so many follow-up questions. Please, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry if you're listening and you're like, well, that was a rant. You know, I just feel so passionately about it because I know, I know how many businesses we've worked with, sustainable businesses, dye experts, you know, all the way, or fashion colleges that emailed us and like, we've done a whole project on how to use a no waste pattern and only recycled fabric because of the dress that Susie wore or because of um, uh, Missy Pearl's dress. It has impact, you know? So this is part of it. It's, be, it's more than what you see in a moment. I mean, and I think what's really interesting is this idea of, you know, do we think and do we feel like I, I've seen specifically also with the pandemic, with Black Lives Matter movement, like in this, these last like few months, it's actually been amazing because I've really seen celebrities step up, you know, and I, I do, I find it interesting. Do you think that there's a, do you think there's more of a responsibility now if you are a celebrity to start mm -hmm. getting behind behind more, you know, doing more in terms of whether that be your activism, lending your voice to social justice issues, environmental mm. issues. Like when you and Susie are going out to people, do you find that the celebrities are mostly saying, yes, absolutely sign me up? Or do you think that more, more efforts need to be done by people with big voices, you know, to help out this conversation? I think that's a really good question. I wanted to ask you one after it, but I think um, in terms of putting pressure on it, you know, I, I wish we didn't have to, you know, because I think when you're presented with the facts about fashion's impact on the environment, I wish that would be enough. You know, we have enough scientific data now to support the fact that like what we're wearing has impact, right? And, but I think the emotive moral argument for sustainable fashion doesn't speak to everybody. Like it just doesn't. Um, and that's why what I said earlier about kind of, the, the metric systems, like this is something that really matters to me, being able to measure impact um, and translate that into, well, these are things that you can do to make a difference because the figures are so big. And I think where people struggle is like, well, these are such big figures. 
I'm one tiny person, how can I have impact, right? So that's part of it, it's an educational part. And if that education was there, then um, stylists and so on wouldn't necessarily feel they had to make pressure because it's like this, this resource that's readily available. And I believe in people's interests, I really do. Like, I just think there is um, an inherent interest from people to know a bit more and, and to be better, like with what their choices are. Now, with our experience with red carpet, green dress, mm, when we started 10 years ago, I mean, it was a real struggle. You know, we had to convince people that they would not be walking down the carpet in a hemp bag, you know, like a burlap sack. They yeah. were just, you know, it was a struggle. They couldn't even imagine that that just sustainable fashion could be beautiful. And that's what I really love about your platform, Rev and Fair. It's like it showcases really design-led sustainability to me. And that's what my thing is. I think the design should speak for itself. I think people choose clothes because of how they look. And as much as a sustainable story is important, if they don't like the look of it, then they're not going to wear it. You can't force someone to wear something that doesn't you know, connect with their identity. So we've always focused on design led and we really had to push in the early years, which is why partnering with brands like Vivian Westwood or Armani was really important because I think that gave the, um, the talent assurance that okay well if it's Vivian Westwood making it you know it'll, it'll probably look okay or you know it should be it should be something I could get away with and then when we started to make best dress lists then it became a lot easier because people could see that well actually they're not trying to have me out here looking kind of whatever and I think sustainable fashion has an image you know there was an image in the back in the beginning and I actually wanted to ask you about this with um, your platform in terms of how it was perceived when you started and how it's kind of evolved now and if it's become a lot easier to um for people to to see it as something wearable like what do, what do you think because that's been our experience it's a lot easier to have oh people God. come on board uh, like literally exactly the same i mean i remember <laughs> when i first had the idea for rev i mean dear friends like people that like loved me and believe in me like were like you're crazy you know like nobody's ever because i was like i want it to be sustainable i want it to be luxurious and like yeah. everybody was like that's those two things don't go hand in hand and i think what's phenomenal is that within sort of you know i'd say the last four years really like that's just become it's almost becoming the norm i mean it's, it's definitely becoming a normal conversation to be had. And what's amazing to me is the number of new designers that are coming up and, and coming to us, you know, before I spent so much of my time reaching out to people, trying to find people researching, you know, finding brands I love, but then like looking and saying, Oh, the sustainability is not really there. Um, and now my, my job is so much easier, you know, because people come to us and I'm like, Oh my God, you've done the most amazing things. Like you're making, you're making Revolver really like blossom and bloom yeah. into, this, into this amazing entity. And I also love that the sustainability stories are so varied now, you know, it's like, there's not a one size fits all when it comes yeah. to sustainability. Um, and I love that, you know, it's like, and it's really interesting. Like you mentioned hemp, one of the, the brands that is doing the best for us right now is um, two brands and one is hemp and one is jute and one is a jute based sandal that's totally vegan handmade in Ibiza, you know, literally like natural rubber soles, the jute sourced locally from Ibiza. And like, this is a shoe with such a low carbon footprint anyway, all plant-based. And you know, at the end of its life, it just biodegrades and like no animal was killed. It will last a long, long time. And then, you know, um, this other brand, Natasha Tonic out of LA, she's doing hemp swimwear and like oh, wonderful. she made it look sexy and very cool and I have one of her suits and like her whole thing was, as you mentioned before, the microplastics. And even when you use recycled plastics, they're actually great in a lot of bigger capacities for clothing, but for swimwear, because you're always in the ocean, yeah. it's shedding, you know, yeah. even those, all of the, like a Connell is great in a way, but it's still shedding microplastics. Exactly. Everywhere. And so Natasha's come up with like hemp swimwear that literally lasts forever, looks beautiful, works with your body. And like, this is the kind of stuff that I find really fascinating and really interesting. It's like those people, those people whose minds don't think like in the normal sense, you know what I mean? It's like, what could we do, you know, to come up with the idea of hemp swimwear, like that's a far out idea. And it's really interesting. Well, do you know what the bit, the thing that got me just then about the hemp swimwear, and I love what you said about Reverend Ver, because what I, what I adore about the sustainable fashion movement right now is what you said is there was, 
it's so many things. It's biodegradable, it's plant-based, it's pineapple materials, it's hemp, it's circular economy, it's organic, it's vegetable dyes. Like it's just all of these different things and it just shows you like the depth and nuance to our industry and how exciting it is to be in this space. But what you said about the hemp laundry, that's a big deal because obviously hemp is extremely a regenerative crop and so on and it grows so quickly and that's why it's such a super crop and it, it has its own image, right? Like hemp is seen as what it is but it does so much in terms of fashion but lingerie um what you said about lingerie is important because people aren't really connecting the dots between the fact that obviously lingerie it sits on the most intimate parts of our body and there's all of this work right now and scientific studies around the impact of our clothing dyes and textiles on our endocrine system on our body you know the skin's our biggest organ mm -hmm. so the idea that lingerie it's not just about this incredible um, textile, but it's actually about now looking at fashion which does good for us. And that to me is insane and an exciting space. So brands that use like hemp, the hemp lingerie, this isn't just about kind of fashion that just exists. It's about fashion that nurtures the skin, fashion that cares for the skin, you know? And with the vegetable dyes, it's the same thing. Some of them have like antimicrobial properties and there's all of this great stuff happening there which is a thing I love about your platform because it speaks to all of these different elements. And, and if someone's interested and they read more about it, then it just, it can really blow your mind. Like when I started reading about healthy and safe fashion, um, cause we worked with Greenpeace one year and they did the detox fashion campaign. And that's when I really started paying attention to um, fashion and the clothing that sits on your skin. And, and that's why they went after Victoria's Secrets because they're using these really toxic dyes and um, textiles and then we're wearing bras and, and and pants and stuff and that's just too close for comfort um but i wanted to just i did have a thought when you were talking earlier about this whole idea of kind of role models because i feel like we are working in a space that's exploding right now but in the beginning it was quite lonely um so when you started were there like particular people that you looked up to um when you were starting Revon Vare as like role models and and are they still the same people you look up to today or are there kind of a new crop of people who inspire you? I mean I think there's a new crop of people that inspire me that 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 you know I'm kind of coming across every day but I yeah. think at the beginning I really looked to you know I actually spent a lot of time reading about women like Jane Goodall or yeah. founders like Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia or yeah people that were working for me, it was really interesting. And I always say that this is the order of things, mm -hmm. organic food, organic beauty. And then now we're getting into organic fashion. Like, right. it, like, so actually I found my role models sort of mirroring my own. And that was definitely my own journey too. Like I grew up, I was lucky enough to grow up on the coast of Maine. My mother mm -hmm. has always shopped at farmer's markets. We obviously growing up in America, she used to say, because healthcare isn't, you know, isn't a right in, in the States and it's so expensive. She always used to say, yes, I spend more money on our food and we buy organic and we buy local, but that is me paying for our healthcare. Like that, wow. that is my, statement. you know, and like that was how I was brought up. And I mean, knock on wood, you know, my parents are in their seventies, they go to the doctor and the doctor's like, how are you guys so healthy? Like you're not on medication. You're not, you know, my mom's like, we've literally eaten organic and local for the past 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then you started seeing those sort of mentalities come into the beauty movement because it did make sense. Like first it's like what you ingest and then it's like, okay, what am I putting on my skin? And you start reading about like what is in conventional beauty. It's terrifying. Um, and then you get into this fashion. So I would actually say a lot of people, you know, at the beginning I was looking at at, at interesting people working in food. You know, I used to actually equate Rev at the very beginning to like Whole Foods. Like I was like, oh, wow. oh, you know, and I, you know, I know that Whole Foods now is owned by Jeff Bezos and that's a whole other kettle of fish. But, you know, at its origins, what I found really interesting about Whole Foods was that it took this sort of crunchy granola idea of yeah. eating organic kale farmer's market hippie food yeah. and made it, brought it to the mat, you know, put it in, you know, I think of the Whole Foods in New York City in Soho, you know, right on the corner of Bowery. And like, you cannot move in that store for, you know, people literally like grabbing all of this, you know, organic food. And I think that that was kind of what I saw as being inspirational was bringing these sort of far out ideas and, and making them covetable to the masses um, and changing a me mentality, really. Yeah. It's so, I love hearing that. And, but at the same time, I just feel, I feel so sad hearing it as well, because 
that is such to me that's such an idyllic and beautiful reality to have grown up with and i feel that you're so lucky to have had that and i just wish that for more people you know so when i heard you it's like that's what i want to create i've got a 23 month old and he is you know full of beans and just incredible and i that's what i want him to have i want him to um really eat the best and the purest and the cleanest food that I can, you know, I can source for him. And I want, because, you know, I really believe we, you know, we are what we eat. We are what we put on our skin. We're all of these things. Like it's absorbed into us and it becomes us. So I'm kind of hearing that was just so beautiful. And then at the same time, I felt this pang because I just feel that right now, not enough people can afford that, you know? And that's one of the big problems for me with sustainable fashion and sustainability period. You know, when, um, when you look at sustainable inputs, like inputs, there's an associated cost increase of like 30 to 40%. And, you know, some brands absorb that, you know, and some brands pass on to the consumers. And that means that people who fall within a certain, a certain kind of socioeconomic group cannot access those things. Um, and so I wish that we could do more work around creating more accessible solutions for people when fashion, with food, so that we don't have this filtration system which ends up being marginalized communities people of color like these are the people that don't tend to have access to this because of how you know society's built up so i wish you know that that's why i always feel so conflicted because i feel fortunate because i've been able to have similar experiences you know my parents are both from ghana and you know my mum never gave us a microwave meal when we were growing up i remember everything was freshly made never in my life everything was freshly made you know she really you know, like you, your mum, she really believed that, you know, if I invest in how you eat, yeah. your health won't be the issue, you know? And, and obviously there are things like falling off a bike and stuff, but like... <laughs> it's inevitable things are changing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I had a really interesting conversation with Arizona Muse and we were talking about the success oh, yes. thing. Right. She had a very interesting perspective on this, which for all people middle class right now and higher, it's going to put a little bit of pressure on you. But she was like... If you can afford to eat organic, support farmers markets, buy sustainable fashion, and she's like, and you are not doing so, then shame on you because you are not allowing your money to then trickle down because, you know, it would become, if more people were buying it, so it's yeah. not for people that literally cannot afford it at all. Yeah. It, it, it is not their fault and it's not actually their problem but for people who are of a certain bracket where they can afford to be supporting organic sustainable ethical choices and are choosing not to do so that's the big problem because that's you know what i mean so yeah, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's also not it's it's evidently not their fault it's it's kind of ours you know because in a lot in a kind of a wider sense of things i was on this really interesting um, biodiversity conversation and it was about you know the biodiversity loss and and it was a lot of kind of um western based brands were talking about biodiversity but the reality is like 70% of biodiversity loss is happening in countries like madagascar papua new guinea um the the Democratic Republic of Congo so it's it's other it's in it's in other parts of the world um, and I'd said well how are you ensuring that these communities voices are present in this conversation and I think that unfortunately with sustainability um, the conversation centered like certain voices and people who are most impacted by you know the the actual the more negative impacts of of how we're living don't have that platform so I, I agree with Arizona I feel that you if if there's more demand for it then obviously the cost will ultimately become less. And, and that's what a lot, of, a lot of people I've spoken to in buying and sourcing are saying, like, we just need the demand to go up so that we can price it a certain way. This is economics as well. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's, um, that's a good point. And I love Arizona because I think she's quite forward thinking with things like that. Like it was a very astute point to yeah. make. Um, but I just wondered, um, when it comes back to the design side of things, because that's kind of something that I get, I get super excited about, like, which designers do you really feel are like pushing the boundaries of sustainable fashion design? Like who do you think is really out there being like trailblazing and innovative? You know, it's really funny because I find that there's, there's two things going on here. There are the people that are trailblazing and being super innovative and going really fashion forward. And yeah. that's amazing because those are probably the people that are going to end up on the red carpet and doing really interesting things. But then what we find at Rev, which is so interesting, and I don't know a whole lot of other people in the retail space, which is probably my fault, but what sells are the people that are doing sort of just like the everyday things that you can really easily wear. And, mm -hmm. and I find that really interesting. You know what I mean? The fact that like, 
Um, we've got, you know, brands like Mara Hoffman. She's doing amazing work, you know, because she really does do some fashion that's quite amazing. But she also, you know, she designs. And what I love about Mara too is she designs for every sort of woman. I guess I'd love to put the question back to you too, because I think like at Rev, like what we've sort of done is not maybe the sexiest or the most kind of far out way of doing things, which is really what we've done. And I'm trying to do is, is only by seasonless, timeless, mm. easy to wear fashion that yeah. sort of just ticks, you know, those boxes of like the staples and the classics in your wardrobe yeah. that you wear forever. But again, I know that's not like the coolest or the sexiest, most far out yeah. thing. And that's why it's great to speak to people like you and Susie who are doing like really, you know, like amazing red carpet dresses and stuff, because that's where maybe the innovation and the far out design yeah. can really showcase that sustainability can be applied not just to your organic t-shirt basic yeah. black yeah. Whatever, but yeah. also your your red carpet dress yeah and i think well it's an interesting question because what we've tried to i mean red carpet design is you know i think it's moving to me it's it's the art side of it you know it's the it's the couture it's every industry i think has that kind of that especially creative industries it's kind of that that jewel, it's not the jewel in the crown but it's the bit that glitters and draws the attention and I think red carpet design can be so exciting in that way because you can push the boundaries more and it's an exciting thing to look at and people do want to be visually excited and, and simulated and when they look at fashion I think and so with our different designs but they're really meant to be educational tools like they're supposed to also be living examples of sustainable design, yeah. natural dye, and how you can achieve colors without relying on synthetic dyes, which have the mordants and that whole kind of toxic impact on waterways. Mm. They showcase like vintage, and we've incorporated vintage beads into belts and so on because we're talking about looking at what exists and not always looking for something new. So even though there are these, they're these wild designs, they're supposed to show practical applications of sustainable design, you know? The dresses, so many of our dresses have actually pulled lining from old dresses. So Deb Scott was the costume designer for Titanic and she made, um, she mentored Gillian making Gillian's dress, but she pulled um, lining from old costume gowns that they had and, and sewed them into her dress to show that, you know, repurposing is another thing. Vivian Westwood incorporated chocolate wrappers into the body of Naomi Harris's dress. It's about kind of allowing people to push their imagination a bit and say, look, like with waste, waste is only waste if you waste it. Yeah. You know, it's this whole philosophy. So, you know, and for me, um, as somebody who, I love like quite glamorous fashion, like, I don't know, that's, that's always been a thing for me. I just, um, you know, I remember like my kind of style icons used to be anyone from like Angela Bassett and Halle Berry. I used to love Sophia Loren because that's a full figured female kind of celebration of shape. Um, you know, there are so many people that I would just look up to because I love that kind of glamorous side of fashion. It's just always been me. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, that's just my personal thing. So I used to look for designers who kind of made me feel quite like not glamorous, but but, but almost easy glamour. Yeah. Um, one of the designers I love is Mercy Me. And she's kind of pioneering this whole idea of fast and fast and free fashion. Yeah. So she doesn't use like zips and buttons. The stuff is easy to put on tie and you're good to go, but it still looks statement and it's still effortless. And she's like UK based, locally sourced materials, very, very much like artisan skills. You know, she's yeah. a highly trained seamstress and designer. So, you know, those are the kind of brands that I get excited about um, because they're championing sustainable design in another way. Yeah. Um, fastenings, buttons, zips have huge impact. They can never be biodegradable, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how she looks at kind of being more sustainable too. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's, um, it's interesting to discover brands and that speak to your personal aesthetic. I think what I love about Revon Vare is that I do feel like there's something for, like you said, there's the easy like go-to fashion, but I think that there's something for everyone. There's a lot of questions we haven't gotten to, and I'm sorry to everybody that, you know, we, we haven't, but... But I think this is the most important one that somebody wrote in. What do you do when you feel your impact is too tiny when facing the problems ahead with the environment? <sighs> and I get that all the time because, you know, we at Revon Vert really try to tackle everything on our editorial from diet to travel to, I mean, parenting is a whole thing. You know, it's like we've got so many people coming at it. Um, and 
it's a really difficult question. Um, it's a difficult question, but it's, I think it's, diff it's difficult, but it's, I think there's a kind of more uh, an emotional response, right? Because like, who doesn't feel overwhelmed when presented with the facts, yeah. you know? And also knowing that like, oh, I'm this one tiny person um, in this like, gl growing global population. <laughs> um, and it's, it's possible that you just feel like, what is the point? I feel so ineffective, but I just don't believe that anyone is ineffective. Like I just, what I do when I have those moments where I just think, this is just not gonna make a difference. Like we are looking at the edge of the cliff people is, you know, I just look at, I celebrate what are considered, cause I think the small wins are actually the big wins. So like I look back, I actively go, these are things I do. I actively go into my inbox and I look from, for emails from students who are like, I'm, I wanna work in sustainable fashion design. This is why I look for those like glimmers of hope from other people, you know, sometimes that have reached out to me or have reached out to a friend of mine and said like, I've just discovered this thing and I'm so excited about it. And I kind of try and harness onto theirs because sometimes I don't have it within me. Like I do wake up sometimes, I just think I've got a kid in this world and it is going somewhere I don't wanna be, you know? Um, but then at the same time, it's like I try and harness onto something or I look for something that gives me like that encouragement to just believe that my impact does matter because I do think it does matter. Um, and then I look at this visual and I remember hearing this quote that says, we either build a fence at the edge of the cliff or a hospital at the bottom. And so I'm just like, okay, we need to be going, like we need to be backing off the edge of this cliff. And then I try and do something. It could be that I even go onto the red carpet green dress website and I write a blog entry, right? And I'm just sharing like, this is how I feel on this, what I need to do. Or I pour it into like the content I write for my social media. I talk to people. I have a couple of like environmental groups on my WhatsApp and I'll like dig into it and be like, guys, I'm feeling despair, you know? And someone will send in like a hilarious meme or something. And that will just like make me laugh and just go again. Cause we can't stop. Like we really can't stop. That's the thing. We cannot afford to take our foot off the pedal. And so even though it can feel like I'm in, I'm not impactful in my one little vehicle, I really believe I am. And I think you have to believe that otherwise you just won't get out of bed. <laughs> like, what about you? How do you do it? You know, it's so funny because I was thinking about this literally from yesterday because I get yeah. yesterday obviously marked the start of Plastic Free July and yes. I have been feeling heinous about the plastic use because I feel like the pandemic has set us really far back in a lot of ways on yeah. plastic because legislation has been paused, you yeah. know, more things are coming in plastic, people don't feel safe bringing their keep cups to things, you know. Yeah. I, I see people drink out of plastic water bottles more now than I did yeah. you know, six months ago. So I've actually been feeling about it. Yeah. And yesterday I have a real love hate relationship with social media. I think yes, we all do you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not alone in that, but it was interesting because yesterday I was like, I want to do a post on my Instagram, my personal Instagram that, you know, kind of speaks to this. And I was like, I read, just want to remind myself of the people that I follow. I would encourage other people to yeah. follow yeah. about this. And I was looking at some of the people that I follow and the number of followers they have, you know, and like going back through their feeds and like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or, you know, I look at Lauren Singer from Trashes for Tossers who like I dearly love and she, you know, she makes such an impact and she does it in such a simple way. You know, she was yeah. just like, look guys, swap out this toothbrush for this toothbrush and yeah. you've just done such a massive win and she really yeah. makes it digestible you know like yeah you know and it, it really can be that simple you can start by just investing in a bamboo toothbrush and you'll exactly. you know think of like the in our lifetime the hundreds of plastic toothbrushes you might have gone through that could have ended up in a baby bird's stomach or you know in a whale or so you know what i mean like you've just taken out possibly hundreds of plastic pieces of plastic just by investing in a bamboo toothbrush and saying i'm going to commit to this one thing yeah um, so i think those you know at times of depression i i actually i do sometimes turn to social media and think yeah. of like the amazing communities of people that are very like-minded that are all over the world you know that we might yeah. not have met and also, I love what you just said, because it reminded me that also look, remember why you started, you know, like, remember why you started, like, there was something for me, I'm like, there was something that I didn't quite get from something didn't quite feed my soul with how I was working in fashion before, you know, so yes, I feel this element of despair about like the, the enormity of this mountain, but hang on, there was something you really weren't happy with before. And you moved to this space because it gave you something you weren't getting before. So it's almost like looking back and being like, hang on a second, we've come a long way here. Um, and appreciating that journey, which at the time didn't feel like much either, right? <laughs>
You know, it's so funny. I find this so interesting because as soon as I started living my life with purpose, which I would say came when I started Rev, my life became at once more difficult and more yes. supporting. Like literally, it was like, as soon as I found my purpose, it was like this double whammy of like, and my mom had said it to me, like they were like, as soon as I was like, I'm going to commit myself to sustainability and environmentalism and yeah. this is what I'm doing, my mom and dad were a bit like, it's a, it's going to be a hard road, like yeah. choosing something easy. Um, right. And I haven't ever regretted it. And it has been very hard, you know, but well, like built something amazing, like honestly, you built something really, really important. Like when people need to, um, when people need to see something and where they need to go somewhere, where they can actually be part of this community. You've created that, like, this is an incredible platform and the fashion speaks to people. And ultimately, like, I think we have to sometimes let the fashion do the talking, you know, Absolutely. You've, you've created that. So I think it's really good. And I'm happy you persisted and you didn't give up. <laughs> well, to you and Susie, I mean, I, I'm looking forward. I mean, and we'll, oh my God, we literally have to do this again because I want to hear. I know, we talk so much. Up and, you know, we'll, we'll make sure to everybody listening that we keep this conversation going, that we keep bringing more information to the forefront. But for now, Samada, I just want to say thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for your beautiful Instagram platform, your your work with, you know, red carpet green dress, or yes, red carpet green dress. And, yes. you know, just, um, it's just been really lovely to speak to you. So thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too.